Good evening, everyone. Edwin Lee Raymer here with Edwin Lee Raymer Show. And Bill Wilson is with us. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ed. Bill, before we get started, uh, this is probably going to be your last show with me. Uh, you're doing, you're starting your own show next week. That's right. Congratulations. Thanks, Ed. Uh, and uh, do we have any condolences? Anyone that you know of right now? <laughs> no, he, he starts out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. No, I, I do that because I don't want to forget him. Condolences you know? to okay. you. I don't really have any. Condolences. We don't have anybody. I'm sure okay. there's plenty we could talk about. But sure. Uh, okay. Jim Lewis is going to be our guest since you're talking about my show. <laughs> well, that's okay. And Michael Lynn White is the uh, right co-host. He'll be your co-host, and okay. we'll be on at nine. Following this show, we're. Right. We're going to talk about the significance of the Battle of Murfreesboro, and we're we're probably going to touch on that just a little because the gentleman right here, that's right, to your right, is a guest of ours, been with us before, and he is Kennerly Berger, and you know Ken from the law firm, and your station, your public station, which is the five hundred three C nonprofit, great station. Mm-hmm. and it's a great mm-hmm. station, jazz and blues, jazz, jazz and blues, blues and public 10- service. 103.9. And WQJZ. WQJZ. Come on, Ed, get with it. For quiet jazz. Quiet jazz. We fished that out of the FCC files to match our quiet jazz format. Good. It's doing good. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, we're doing well. We're staying busy as can be, trying to. We have our problem there, I guess, with all of us coming into this cope post-COVID period, right. we've got more projects that we think about, Jim and me and and uh, our, our friend Tom Christie, who's so nice to volunteer oh, his, his time. Yeah, he does. Right. A, I, I don't know what we'd do without him. I've said, I, you know, we're right. supposed to be a public service station, and we, we, uh, we think of ourselves, we present ourselves as the voice of the, the uh, disadvantaged, the voice of the uh, various nonprofits who are working to protect the needs of the disadvantaged, along with right arts and culture and tom just does a great job for us on that he that knows he right. knows everybody comes in and, great guy. tom yeah. that is right down his alley yeah, it always has it's been. his talent yeah. it's his it's it what he really was put is. on this earth to do i believe and it's a passion of his too it, he it really is. he really lives it he really does which is he fortunate and i'm glad he follow. enjoys it because he, his paycheck is zero <laughs> <laughs> we're all volunteers you now, know is I, I he was with really, you or is he working here at wgns I tell you, we know we're really fortunate. People people talk about our station, and and we have a little promo one about this. That they say, well, you sound like a big city. You sound like an Atlanta sure or Boston yeah. jazz station. How do you do that? Well, we got people like uh, the name. The list is long. Carl P. Mayfield, Charlie Chase, Frank Irwin, uh, John Young, who does the Channel Five stuff. Sure. Uh, and there are others. I'm leaving good names off. Chris Rule, uh, Clifton right. Harris, who does the television commercials or did some time ago for Mercedes. You recognize her voice from that on, the, on their national TV commercials. So for our little modest radio station, we have a pool talent that um, Big time. helps us, helps <laughs> us a lot. And nobody sure. asks for a paycheck and that makes it great. So well, it's all I'm volunteer. You, well, volunteer. It's all volunteer. Work. It yep. really is. Yep. Yep. We're going to talk a little about that. And we're going to talk maybe, Ken's been up to Fort Donaldson today. His great, great grandfather, it is, I believe, yeah. Yeah. has served in the Confederacy. And um, I'm going to let him tell you the story, okay? And um, we're going to get on with this thing. All right, Zach, are we ready to go here? Zach's on the board. Dawn's got the night off. But for right now, my name is Edwin Lee Raymer, and yes, I'm still a private investigator. Welcome aboard. This is the Edwin Lee Raymer Show with your host, Ed Raymer, on your good neighbor station, News Radio, WGNS Murfreesboro.
a little stiff upper lip for you from ACDC. And this is the Evan Lee Raymer Show, and I am your host, Ed Raymer. This show is produced at studios of WGNS AM 1450, 100.5, 101.9 FM, right here in the heart of the great volunteer state, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can reach us tonight with your questions, comments, or ideas at 615-893-1450. That's 615-893-1450. And you can also send us a text at that number. And our producer, Zach, will be, who's on the board here, will be glad to read it over there for those of you who do not wish to be heard live on the air. We understand that. My co-host for his last week here with us, he's going to start his own show next week, is, of course, Mr. Bill Wilson, a.k.a. Mr. Murfreesboro. Our guest this evening, as I said, is attorney, local attorney Ken Berger, who's going to be doing some other things and talking about um, a couple of different subjects tonight. Yeah, you can also listen to us via the Internet at WGNS Radio. Dot com. That's WGNSRadio.com and Facebook at the Evan Lee Raymer Show. Evan Lee Raymer Show on WGNS. You can also watch, also watch us. I can't talk tonight. Yeah. You can also watch us on Facebook Live or you can go to Mr. Murfreesboro's page, Bill Wilson, where my wife watches on Mr. Murfreesboro and get it there. You can also download the WGNS app and take WGNS with you wherever you go and listen whenever you wish. Ken, welcome again. Thank We're you. always glad to have you. Uh, hand that to Bill, if you All would, right. please. Yes. Um, Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Um, where, first of all, look, there's no doubt we've been through a mess in the last 12, 14 months, okay? I told you, and when we talked, we spoke the other day on the phone, Michelle Hauser had been with us, and she's, she's of course, a local attorney here. Fine local attorney. Now. Yeah, and, uh, but she said right now things, it, it's really hectic. Because you didn't do anything for so long, yeah. people that had cases. Yeah, like now, like a know. lot of other businesses, I mean, I, it, but but uniquely, when, when cases get filed in the court, they're concluded <clears throat> when you have you have either have a settlement or you have a trial. And so, I mean, a short version of what I could turn into a painfully long story. It's it's been bottlenecked and, and through nobody's fault. I mean, I think the, our court administrators here locally, the judges have done as good a job as anybody could do. Sure. And in Nashville, in federal system as well, I, I do a good deal of my work down in federal court in Nashville. So across the board, I think everybody's done a good job dealing with a an unworkable situation, to, trying sure. to make it work. Right. But what's happened is that uh, you know we've, we're we're coming we're coming out of this respite of. 12 or 13 months and you know in my personal situation i do mostly plaintiff's work but all of a sudden these defense attorneys are ready to rock and roll and yeah uh, so yeah. Uh, everybody wants to set everything day after tomorrow and it's uh, yes it's been a stressful right. time so bill it's one reason I, we normally have a veterans day i'm sorry memorial day program every year on the station that's what i'd originally and called you about so i didn't yeah. i didn't uh we didn't unfortunately i didn't i just didn't have time to get it together for this year hope to have right. it reworked reconfigured and back on by veterans day because it's a topic that's near and now, near, near and dear to my heart I know it is, and touch on it. You and seven or eight of your other friends here in Rutherford County, or maybe here in Middle Tennessee, I don't mm -hmm. know, and you guys actually served in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of summarize for people what this is. And, folks, you can hear this on Ken's station if you want to go to his website. And he's, we're we're going to let him give that to you here in just a few minutes or throughout the show. What, but how did you come about well, it? How did you all do I'll this? You know, I, I guess it's a product, uh, first and foremost, of something that, I think everybody that I know, my my friends who were my contemporaries in the Vietnam era, we felt neglected. It was not only it's very different from today. Not only something that you were not proud, but that you that you couldn't feel pride about. 
but it was it was very hard to to have receive any appreciation for, right. for that role. Uh, my was. friend, my friend yeah. Bud Morris tells a story that is one of the most compelling stories. Bud was in combat, local insurance man. He was yeah. a it was, it, but he was a super achiever in our ROTC over here at MTSU when we were coming through there in that program right. with him. He was an airborne ranger and uh, as fine an officer as you would, could find anywhere. And I'm sure he gave 110% of his uh, heart, mind, and soul to that combat mission in Vietnam. He was wounded very badly and, and went through some I did not know that. I've yeah, never known he that. Was, he was no. injured. I mean, you know, he tells the story of coming back through the airport in San Francisco and he sort of, he was glad to be alive, glad to be back sure. on American soil again yeah. under any circumstances. But sure. he was aware it had been that way before he had gone over. He was aware, sensitive to the fact that we all were sensitive to, and that that was that, that a lot of people had no appreciation for the military at that time. That's the only way to describe it: no appreciation, right. nothing but contempt. And of course, it was it was a divisive time. Everybody didn't feel that way, but many people did. And he describes the story of being so elated to be back on U.S. soil, right in the airport there in San Francisco, and this young, very, very attractive young lady comes walking up to him, smiling, he said, and approached him and said, well, it looks like you're in the military, and he's and he, in his polite way, yes, ma'am, I'm right back from just getting back from Vietnam. And she said right. he, I mean, he said, he said this young lady who he thought was gonna be nice to him spit in his face and called him a damned baby killer and pierced his heart in the worst awesome. way. He said in a way- I have was, heard that story that was, too. That was one not of about the worst, him, but He said it was worse yeah. than some of the experiences in Vietnam to have a fellow citizen, somebody that you want to have some respect and appreciation for what you have done, nearly being killed, uh, you know. They were just interesting. doing their job. You know, they were just going over. No matter what your well, job it, was in Vietnam, no matter sure. what your job was in Vietnam, you were in a combat zone. Right. You got up in the morning, you went to bed at night. When, am I gonna be, is, will I be alive? Right. Day after tomorrow yeah. or, the, or the day after that. And in, in, in my personal situation, I had lost four or five of my cohorts, my, my Little League uh, pals from Coffee County Elementary School and, and Coffee County High School. I lost four or five of them uh, before I went over. And it's always in the forefront of your mind, you know, if it can happen to your friend. Sure. It could happen to you. I, I was fortunate. I did not have, uh, in, in the, I was in and out of combat zones, but I didn't have the type of job that Andy Womack had, that, that Bud Morris had, that uh, Carl Burning had, uh, that uh, my friend Jim Bryant had. Right. Uh, I mean, those men are heroes by my standards. They had the worst of it. Uh, it wasn't pleasant for anybody. It was scary for everybody if you had an, uh, normal sensibilities, I think you. Sure. What it, years were you over there? That's I was, I was there gonna in, ask too, Ken. I was there Wait. in 69 and 70. Was that the okay. Tet Offensive? Was that right after the Tet? Right after the Tet Offensive. My friend Terrell was killed in the April, which was the tail end of the Tet Offensive in 68. 68 yeah. mm -hmm. it, was a, it was the first program we did on that on, our, our, on WQJZ three years ago. We focused on um, and the contrast, we talk about the divisiveness of today. The divisiveness of 1968 bears no resemblance to the divisiveness of today in a, in a very negative way. There were riots, this is not an exaggeration, every right. major city every night in 1968, particularly following the assassinations of Dr. King and, uh, and, Bobby, the, Kennedy, and Bobby Kennedy. It was chaos. Right. And yeah. there were college campuses everywhere. Kent State occurred in that general time frame right. in May. Yeah. And so it was a. It, they, they, Newsweek did no Time did a story that year um, um, earlier the year that I did the program in 2018 I guess it was, 
they called it the 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 a, a decade of uh, a, a year that was unique in a in a decade that was unique. It was a very very peculiar time uh, with the, the level of divisiveness that I I'd say is ten times worse than what we're dealing with today in the odd politics in this country. I, you know people have short memories. Uh, that's the way I remember it. People might disagree with me. I, I know those men that I whose names I just mentioned a minute ago. And the five or six other uh, people, Van Deacon, um, Franklin Brown, the others, had several Vietnam veterans to join us. It was an all-day program, seven or eight hours. We played some rock and roll from the Beach Boys and the Beatles, the, the, <laughs> the, the music of our generation, and we talked over things and, and, um, and uh, reminisced. And uh, I think a common thread that ran through that discussion, a common thread that ran through that discussion was, our, first of all, we all agreed that it was not worth it. That everyone it's, that it's, I it's have painful talked to, to utter those right. words, right. and it hurts to utter those words. I know. When I have, have have been a pallbearer at a funeral for my little league pal Terrell Wilkinson, who was a hero, a first lieutenant over there, killed by a sapper unit one night when was they this were before over. Before you went over, the, yeah, it was about it was about uh, it was about he was killed about a year before I went before over. Before you went over, so you know I had all, I, I guess I digressed a minute ago. I guess that that, that was part of my anxiety. I I, I was the most reluctant unenthusiastic second lieutenant. I, I kept thinking to myself, you people have made a terrible mistake. I'm a rock and roll disc jockey. I'm, I'm a rock and roll disc jockey. I'm a good, I'm a funny, good rock and roll disc jockey, but I am not an Army second lieutenant. No, Ken, you're not. What are you, you no. going to do with me in Vietnam? What do another you think Robin, I can another Robin, another Robin Williams here. You you know? Know? What okay. do you think you're going to do with me over there? And so, you know, I, I was scared to death. Uh, Good it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting <laughs> juxtaposition. You, you know, you just meet all types of people. You know, growing up, and I was 22 years old. I was a kid. My sure. first assignment I was a company commander up at Fort Devens, Massachusetts, in this intelligence unit. That and got and so get over there, and I, it's a pretty interesting job. But I, I began. I, I mean, I looked around, and, and nobody seemed as scared as I felt. And then I would run into these people who were on their second and third tour. Wow. These men yeah. with these type A, these young men with these type A personalities who fed off of that adventure of going out at 2 o'clock in the morning hmm. and sitting in a ditch that's filled with water yeah. and shooting people who are coming down the trail there. There's a 19-year-old Vietnamese kid from somewhere in North Vietnam who's as clueless about the purposes of that war as we were. And so, you know, all of that... Um, all of that was an it was an interesting cocktail of emotions and and right. um, the paramount thing being and I'll, I'll shut up here I didn't mean to take over your show no here, no, but, no you're fine you're my, fine. my point about that is is that that, um, that our, our memories are so short our our collective historical memories are so short and it bothers me uh, when when I'm glad that people give the military the respect that they do today but it bothers me that more people don't realize and understand how contemptuously the military by a majority of Americans were treated and, and, and the irony of that is this was the post we were the children of the greatest generation so with the, everybody had this yep. great respect as deservedly respect for these men and women right. who had endured the depression had right. been steeled had been steeled and forged in steel by the depression right. they were ready I believe God and God Put it that way to make these men uh, in a position where they could protect us. Had gone through two from, world from, wars from, from the loss of from the loss of this world to the Axis powers. Right. They you know, these, those young men headed out from their small towns like Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and ended up over there four years. They didn't know when they were coming back. So those men had that high level of respect in our society that they richly deserved. And it was an odd thing when Vietnam divided us so badly to see families split, yeah. to see. Um, 
communities split, to see churches split. Right. And if you remember, the Democrat convention was just a melee in That was in August of that was in August of '68, right? Yeah. Yeah. '68, right? Yeah. Um, let me let me do this, Ken. Thank you. I'm gonna let, we're gonna we're gonna hear more from Ken. He'll take your calls if you want to call in, folks. Uh, listen, right now, I want to tell you about uh, a new sponsor we got. We just mentioned this lady, Ken. Hauser & Associates, Michelle Hauser & Associates, Family Law, Child Custody, Divorce, Parenting Agreements. Now, she is located out in off Medical Center Parkway at 1500. She's behind Burger Republic, where I think someone had dinner earlier tonight. And we weren't invited, Bill. Uh, 1500 <laughs> Medical Center Parkway and Suite 3A1. You can find her out there. That's Hauser & Associates here in Murfreesboro or www.boroughfamilylegal.com. Now, you can reach Michelle. You can take this number down, 615-801-8602. That's 615-801-8602. That's a good friend, Michelle Hauser & Associates. Uh, she's worked alongside Ken here for years and years in the law business. Uh, their offices were just about beside one another there for a while. Married to the nicest guy in the world. Eric. Yeah, yeah, Eric, great guy. And uh, family law, child custody, divorce. If you have to go through it, give her a call. That's Hauser & Associates, 1500 Medical Center Parkway. Zach takes us to our breaks. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Ronna McCrary has been in the mortgage business for 29 years. During her 29-year tenure, she's won multiple awards for being a top producer. She was voted as a favorite mortgage loan officer in the 2018 and 2019 DNJ Ruthie Awards. She's a proud member of the Middle Tennessee State University 1989 graduating class. She specializes in all types of mortgage products and takes pride in going the extra mile. You can visit her at 1639 Medical Center Parkway, Suite 203, or reach her at 615-419-9193, or even apply online at loansbyronda.com. Hello everyone, it's Ed with Private Investigations in Middle Tennessee. You know, if you just need someone checked out on a background check, tag them a run, or if you need someone full-fledged follow, give us a call. You can reach me at 615-390-7219. That's 615-390-7219. Or check out our website at piofmt.com. That's piofmt.com. Hey, it's Bill. Did you know I also sell for Parks Real Estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040. Or you can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. Go to J. Mullins Jewelers and check out their collection of reactor watches. They're located at 352 West Mafia Boulevard right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And also, custom-made jewelry if you want it, they can make it for you. Also, gifts for any and all occasions. Weddings, graduations, family reunions, uh, anniversaries, all of it. That's J. Mullins Jewelers, 352 West Northfield Boulevard right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I felt so alone, scared, angry, full of self-pity. I just wanted to die, so I took another drink. Then I heard about AA and went to my first meeting. The people there talked about those same feelings. I was no longer alone. 
They gave me help to stop drinking and hope to start living. Alcoholics Anonymous, it works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or aa.org. All right, and we got a debate for you there, I think, and we're, we think we're pronouncing that right, okay? Another new sponsor of ours, Complete Yard Care. Check them out. Their slogan is, we do it all. Lawn maintenance, landscape design, retaining walls, tree removal, stump grinding, lawns cut, of course, mulching, landscaping, you can reach them at 615-785-0384. That's 615-785-0384. Or check them out on the web at completeyardcaretn.com. They have a five-star rating from Google. That's higher than I've got. And uh, that's Complete Yard Care. We do it all. 615-785-0384. And completeyardcaretn.com. Check them out. Okay, we're back. Go right ahead. Ken Berger's our guest, by the way. Go ahead. Do you... Do you ever do you ever watch uh, movies dealing with Viet, Vietnam? And then which, if you do, is there one that's your favorite that maybe like Vietnam? It's more factual. Yeah, it's more factual. You know, I, I'll tell you, I've never like seen I've never or, seen one that I could relate to. And let me tell you why I don't relate to them. Um, in my experience in Vietnam, uh, I, I sensed a com- I felt a camaraderie. Uh, the guys I worked with were decent guys and. Every movie I've ever seen, uh, even the play, Miss Saigon, this portrayal of the American soldier as foul-mouthed, crude, profanity, uh, um, 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 looking out for themselves and nobody else is the exact opposite of what I observed. Now, maybe the answer to that is I was not in an infantry unit. I was was just telling uh, our our operator here, our board operator, uh, a minute ago, uh, I was with an, what's called a signal intelligence unit. And what we did, we listened in, our units listened in on the communications of the Viet Cong and the um, North Vietnamese regular units, North Vietnamese units that had come down to the south, and the Khmer Rouge you mentioned earlier over in, in the Paritsbeek area of Cambodia. We listened in to what they were saying. We translated it. So it was the young men that I worked with, young men and women that I worked with were technically oriented. Uh, many of them had master's degrees and PhDs and had been drafted. And they, you know, they checked him out and they said, well, this guy doesn't belong in the infantry. We're going we're to let him teach him Morse code and let him go down there and, and listen to these reel-to-reel tapes that we brought in did from the you, field. Did you speak Vietnamese at the time? No, no, I didn't. You, I, you didn't. Okay. I, I played no role in that at all. Okay. I, okay. I, uh, my, job, my job was I was stationed at a place just outside uh, Plantation Compound um, near Bearcat, it was called. And my job was I get up at 3.30 every morning and I would drive about two miles down to what they called a secure compound. And right. I, we would, I would bring, they would bring in these uh, transcripts that we would get from our station over at Benoit by Secure Transmit. And I would go through those and decide what looked important and what doesn't look important. And then about 7.30 in the morning, Brigadier General, no, Major General, Michael Davison, who was a prince of a gentleman, uh, four-star general, left Vietnam and went to NATO. But I would 
I was one of about eight or ten intelligence officers who briefed him every morning, stood up with a map saying this unit has moved from this point to that point. Wow. Sure. This unit has is saying this about what way they know that we know about them or what. It was, it was that type of, it was called Army Security Agency. Sure. We wore signal intelligence insignia, but we sure. were... We were ASA, and we were intelligence officers in the Army. Sure. Took our instructions not from the Pentagon at all. Everything came from NSA. The highest ranking officer at the time I was in ASA was a, what they called a bird colonel. He wasn't even a, a general. NSA, National Security Agency. Yeah, and okay. so he, he took his instructions from the National Security Council in the NSA about where we, where we listened, how we deployed our forces, not just in Vietnam, but in the military around the world. Right. But um, get back to your point. I, the young men that I worked with were were good people. Uh, they were they were young. They they were men like me who did their job the best they could do their job, but wanted out of there as quickly as they could. Right. We, we didn't understand the war. That was the constant topic. What are we doing and here? That, that what are we gaining? And we, didn't, may, we don't I, understand it. The guys I have known over the years, same. You're telling the same story. You know, I'll tell you what bothers me about Why it. Why are we this, here? This sounds you know. like a silly thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I go mm-hmm. into Walmart or someplace like Walmart, and I, I buy a pack of underwear. I know. <laughs> I buy a pair of underwear or T-shirts or whatever, and I look on there and I see made in, made in the Republic of Vietnam. Yeah. I think about Terrell Wilkinson. I'm, I'm 100% of the time. Not now, I think about Terrell Wilkinson and Elmer Keesling, my classmates, and, and, and Richard Bradley and, um, and, and the others who sacrificed and gave that ultimate Memorial Day exactly. uh, sacrifice. Uh, and I think to myself, could we have not accomplished the same thing with Fords and Chevrolets and Kentucky Fried Chickens and Walmarts. Economically, could we not have eventually done what happened anyway in Vietnam? And they prevailed militarily, I suppose. Right. Every time I have that argument with myself, and I debate this with myself, still do, still do, and, and the young men that I interviewed in my program, the seven or eight, including Bud and, and Carl and, and Andy, we all have this debate. You know, the, the counterpoise to that, the counterpoint to it is, you can't prove a negative. Do we really know for sure that if we hadn't gone into Vietnam, if we had kept with President Kennedy's role as an advisory special forces type role where we were in, engage, helping right. the South Vietnamese engage and training them, if we'd limited it to that, would the vigorous efforts by the Chinese communists in, in elsewhere in Asia and more, more problematically, that's kind of faded from the news and from people's historical memories, what was going on in Nicaragua and Costa Rica and those countries in, in South America, the, right. the, the, mm-hmm. the, the Cuban influence. And so, you know, you can't prove a negative. It, maybe if we hadn't gone into Vietnam and all of that bloodshed that seems so meaningless, had it not occurred, would we have faced a much wider, bloodier more expensive war in Central America. Right. Sure. Fifteen years later, did we? The, the question is, it's a question, not a comment. Did we, by engaging in Vietnam in the monstrously painful way that we did, that divided this country, did we intimidate the Chinese? Did we intimidate the Russians in a way that you can't measure on a measuring stick? Sure. And I mean, unless we get into the, into the, uh, you know, the secure documents and secure papers buried somewhere in in the Kremlin, someplace where they say we were planning on doing this and this and this, and since they uh, showed us what they had in Vietnam, we decided not to. I mean, that's we never guess, had a war on our state. We never had a war here other than civil war on hmm. our country on right? our souls yeah on our soil you know it's maybe true. an island in alaska world war ii but as far but we we go there yeah yeah well you know i i have that debate with myself and sometimes i swing one way and sometimes i swing another and the only thing that reassures me about it 
as I, you know, look back from the my my my, my uh, seventh decade on this earth, and try to decide size things up, what was good, what was bad. I I try to persuade myself that there was some good that came from these fine young young men like Terrell Wilkinson, who the world need. He would have been a good father, a good husband, right? Uh, a good a good. Um, a good citizen in a world in need of good citizens. Exactly and, right, uh, especially right it now. It hurts my heart yeah. to say, if I if I if I get to that point where I say, well, you know, it's it was a waste. As, as usually when we have these roundtable discussions with other Vietnam veterans, I think we all come back to that point. Militarily, it was insanity. Nobody can frame as a rational, sane thing spending 150 lives, 125 lives to take an area, a hill, and then abandon it the next day. Well, the Quezon is an example of that. That's an extreme example of that. All this blood over weeks and weeks and weeks, Mm -hmm. and we prevail, and we walk away and leave it, and then they take it. How is that any form of sane, rational strategy, much less low-level military tactics? It's just bizarre stuff that kept me, as I'm standing up to that board as a lowly first lieutenant, but I've got average common sense. I'm at least got walking around common sense. Right. I, and, and I'm thinking to myself, this stuff that I'm reading to General Davison doesn't make sense to me. Right. He was a good man. He was sure. a kind, brilliant man. And I, 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 of course, he never confided in me as a lowly first lieutenant. But I would hear the conversations with the other generals. And they, and the, and they didn't like what was going on. They didn't understand what was going on. Wow. They were struggling with their own... Um, ambivalence about it, and, and right. who was it? Yeah. Who was the who was the, the the ambassador in? I can't remember in Saigon at the was time. It Rogers or uh, no? Maxwell Taylor? Um, was it I, Maxwell I can't, Taylor? You know, I'm getting old. I can't remember. I, but, 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 but McNamara? No, not McNamara. He was the defense. He was the Secretary of Defense Secretary during that defense. time. No, I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I can't. Did remember. you ever meet General Westmoreland? Did you? Ever I never did. No, I never did. I I, uh, I I I led a cloistered life. I was describing my job earlier. I would. Um, I would do my briefings and I would be finished. I would be finished with that part of my job by eight, eight or eight thirty. Two or three days a week, I would get on a Huey helicopter. I'm telling somebody the other day, I had this love of flying before I went to Vietnam, and I was gonna. When I got back, I was gonna get a private, like come back here to Murfreesboro and get the plane flying lessons. And sure. after I flew in the door of a Huey helicopter uh, for nearly a year, uh, strapped in, I lost all of the intrigue and interest in flying that I, I did. But I flew two or three days a week. We'd go out to a site. I would pick up real, typically reel-to-reel tapes, uh, what they call low-level voice intercept, and I would bring that back, and they would translate it, decode what needed to be decoded. And then it would go into the briefings the next day or two or three after that. And it was... An interesting job, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's probably it's a heck of a lot more interesting than practicing law. And, mm-hmm. and even my little radio yeah. station project, it was a fascinating, interesting job. I didn't really realize how compelling it was when the when I walked in there as a major Roney. Major Roney was the personnel guy for our battalion there, and really nice guy. And he looks up at me and says, "Lieutenant." I don't know where the hell we're going to put you. We got more lieutenants around here than we know what to do with. Oh, I said, well, I got an idea. Let me tell you, I got an idea. You got an idea. <laughs> Either send me back home or let me go down and be a disc jockey on AFVN. <laughs> and uh, I don't need to be here. But he said, I don't know where we're going to put you. He said, ah, you've been doing this radio stuff. You'll be a good briefing officer for General Davison up here. You you don't get stage fright? I said, no, nah, I don't get stage fright. Yeah. He got to point with that stick and just read what was going on. <laughs> so we'd been, I'd been there maybe three weeks. I'd been there maybe three weeks. And this, I think this is kind of interesting. It, it shows you what they were doing. 
there, there's a book that describes the exploits of the Army Security Agency in Vietnam. And if you have any kind of interest in intelligence work, but we saved so many lives. We knew about things that we found out about things days or weeks before they were going to happen, and we were ready for them time and again and again and again. I could tell you a hundred stories about that. This one little story to tell you how, how that stuff would unfold. We intercepted a communication from the gardener. I don't remember if it was President Two or President Key. I don't there was a regime change during that time. But the gardener was planning on assassinating, I think it was President Two, his gardener in the, the, the compound there for the, the presidential compound. And we get that. And of course, that didn't, you never saw that on NBC. No, never saw it anywhere. It was not right. even in, in the in Stars and Stripes. But I, And I never knew what happened. We turned in the information. I can guarantee you, he was quietly led away that evening, never to be heard from again. Uh, but it I believe saved President Tu's life because uh, right. he was going to be he was a target and they may have succeeded well, they may not have but it was interesting work what about wanna, your story in Cambodia where you're in Cambodia and you pick up a newspaper can you well, tell us that uh, probably three or four times while I was over there we ventured into an area to, to, where our, our units were intercepting communications and I would I'd literally pick up the tapes and uh, maybe two or three times I ventured into an area called the Paritsvik area of Cambodia if there are any Vietnam veterans out there who are listening, who are in the military region three, you know what I'm talking about. You look like a parrot's beak over into Cambodia. It's where Cosman, you know, Cosman was the central office of South Vietnam, where the Cosman okay. headquarters. Right. If Richard Nixon ever did anything good for Ken Berger, it was he drove right before I got to Vietnam, right after Kent State. <laughs> he sent those units in there and they drove Cosman and all those main force Viet, Viet, uh, North Vietnamese Army regular units back into the parrot's beak area of, of Cambodia. But I had spent a day over there and had just come back in by helicopter and came back into what was supposed to be an officer's uh, officer's uh, lounge of some kind. We had it was a it was a dump. <laughs> it was, it was uh, supposed to be the officer's place, but it was the best we could do. It was sandbags around it. And, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I'm sitting there reading a, the front page of the Stars and Stripes. Nixon denies any presence of the United States in Cambodia. <laughs> And I thought, boy, how ironic is that? Yeah, how ironic I got you. Is that, you, you know? I got you. And I okay. had just come back from Cambodia, and I think I was a U.S. Army man at the time. We've got some so. people that are listening to us. Pete Elkins, Larry Weaver, Rob Mitchell. You remember uh, he Rob did from such last a good week. job from you last week. John Mitchell, thank you all. You know, you know that Mitchell. Fellow. John Mitchell's one of the finest lawyers. One of my mentors when I came to town. I won't say he's that much older than me, but he's old enough to be one of he's, my mentors when I came to town. He's for, a little older than me. For many of us, I had a, I had a few conferences with him in his office from time to time. I, I had lunch fellow. with John a few weeks ago, and I, I won't I won't steal the whole story. You need to get him on here. But he, you know, he almost went to work for Governor Ray Blanton as his legal counsel, and instead he recommended his friend from law school, Eddie Sisk. So get John to tell you that story one of these days. Still paying for that. We know he how that anything to do with Ray. We know how that story turned out. Yeah, it happened to Ray. Yeah. He's well, he's, he, he's passed away. Eddie Sisk ended up as a part of that, that, that payment scheme. You're getting pardons, right? He, he ended up getting pay pardons. for pardons, and Eddie Sisk ended up in the ended up going to the penitentiary, I think, for some right. period of time. But John was always a pretty perceptive he, fellow. He was a, that was a smart. That was one of his early smart moves in his career. Yeah, he was. I'm sure. telling you. <laughs> uh, you know, like I said earlier, the stories I hear, I hear, I hear from the people that I knew. You know, yeah. And you got a little guy comes up out of the ground, or whatever. And no, 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 no. Yeah, really. Yeah. 
So what's this? Clash of 1967. Clash ring. Huh? Where'd we get that? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Just... Well, we were taught. We were taught from you, the you time. Know. Yeah, we're taught from the time we got there. You trust no one. If a child, right. if a child comes up beside you, and we had you had a had a forty. Well, everybody carried an M sixteen. Everybody had a forty. Every officer had a forty five strapped on, and well, it was a major, major uh, faux pas uh, violation to let a child, a child, a small child, get near it's, your forty five or right. your M sixteen because yeah. they, there were too many incidences where they grabbed them and uh, yeah, unloaded they, or threw a grenade in. Or they literally had, used yeah. children in it's, ways you couldn't imagine. Yeah. It, it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know. And, and the interesting um, an interesting angle to that, one of my good friends from high school that I, I have remained good friends with through the president, former former General Sessions judge over in Cleveland, a guy by the name of Van Deacon. Um, he was with the Phoenix program, which was the ground version of intelligence. It's interesting. We were good friends all through high school, all through even college. And he ended up in Vietnam about 20 miles from me. I didn't know he was there at the time. He didn't know right. I was there. He was uh-huh. doing straight yeah. intelligence work, uh, land intelligence work. I was doing the signal work. But he said our best source of information. We, we didn't torture. We didn't have to torture people. We would get children and give them Hershey candy bars, and they'd tell us whatever we wanted. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And that he said yeah. it was one, and, they, and it was reliable. Like it was truthful. They were smart little kids, and right. he said innocently they would. We could ply from them uh, with a Hershey candy bar. I've been a great source. Far, <laughs> Bill will melt right in your hand. Far, far, far more information. You know, you hear these horror stories where they would, you know, they would get a group of Viet Cong soldiers, and they would put them on a helicopter. You know, the doors were open on both sides, and to go up about ten thousand feet, eight to ten thousand, seven or eight thousand feet. And just throw one of them out. I mean, I heard those stories. I never heard of that being done. I asked Van if he had ever heard of it being done. He said, "Yeah, I never saw that." Or you hear those monstrous stories yeah, of right. man's inhumanity yeah. to man. Right. But the others wouldn't shut up. They couldn't shut him up. They would couldn't. They would tell him everything they knew. But the problem with that type of intelligence is that you don't have much of it. It's accurate or not? That, You're getting it yeah. From the mouth of an innocent child who just wants that Hershey bar. Like we talk about in, your, in your business, the forced confession. Yep. You know, yep. you keep the, keep a guy awake so long, keep you know waterboarding and all that Absolutely. type of stuff. They'll tell you anything just to get out of it. Yeah. You know. So and some interesting lessons from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about. Um, you know, the one I'm, you you were talking about in you were there in '69, '70. I'm sorry, 70, 71. Yeah, Judy I was, uh, and I got married in June of 69, and I yeah. I went to Fort Devens for a year, almost a year, and then straight to Vietnam. I was 12 years old, 11, 12 years old at the time. So, uh, and you know how we felt about it was, um, and I'll never forget this, in 1976 or 77, we registered for the draft in Madisonville, Kentucky, at the what then was the ASC office. It was the farm loan place. Mm-hmm. That was the in our county or our state how they how they did that. And me and I ran into a friend of mine, Lynn Wilson. Said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Well, go register for the draft because we'd both turned 18, and our parents didn't tell us. I mean, we just went to go register for the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't know there wasn't anything going on at that time. Y'all had taken care of all that." And, <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, and we went and he said, I said, we're here, you know, Joe something or other was his name. He's a good fellow. And uh, he said, no, no, you don't have to register anymore. I said, well, wait a minute. It's, I said, we're here to do this. Don't, please don't tell us wrong because, you know, it's good. This is the law you're messing with, you know. He said, no, 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 draft's over. 
It's funny you mention that. I, I never figured out when it stopped. I mean, I, I just, I guess I was distracted know. and. 75 was the end, right? I don't know. I just, I, I, I never, know. I never understood when it stopped. I, I was I interested listening to what he was saying about it from that angle. Yeah. I, I don't know when. I, I know this. In, in my era, you know, we were the children of the greatest generation, and there was this sense of duty for me. This, this, it was this balancing of this sense of duty versus they're asking you to do something that very likely may be killed, and it makes no sense. But right. yet we were we we were the children of, of the World War II heroes who saved right. us from tyranny, from saved the world from from uh, ruination, and so there was a strong strong sense of, of duty that you had to do it. And so th- th- I think that's what that kind of passion what in generated the m- terrible terrible divisions that we saw that that sort of sp- spiked peaked in 1968. Things were so bad; and they, were, they remained bad for a, f- a few years after that. But it, um, it, it, it was a very, um, it was the most painful time in my life. And I, I've, I've, I kind of say this halfway laughing about it, but I, I was living the endless summer. I had a red MG midget. I was dating the prettiest girl on the uh, Telehoma cheerleaders squad. Now, who was and, that? And coffee I was some, <laughs> some girl named Judy. Coffee girl candy. named yeah. Judy? <laughs> And I yeah. uh, and I was and I was playing rock and roll music. They were paying me. They were paying hey. me to play the Beach Boys and the Be- Beatles every afternoon after school in this great radio station. And had conned myself a job into at, at age 16, 17. So I mean, I was living the the endless summer. And then all of a sudden, there's this demarcation line, and the endless summer turned into a long dark winter, mm-hmm. where my friends yeah. start getting these stories, hearing these stories about people dying in. A, I'd never heard of Vietnam. <coughs> You know, my my idea of war was what I would see at the Lyric Theater on the square when we'd sure. ride our bikes up after the Little League games, and I would see right. Robert Mitchum in the beaches of Anzio. And sure. we had this sense of war, this glorious stuff, the 101st Airborne yeah. Yeah. parachuting in right. and all this great drama and adventure. And then, you know, when real people start dying from real bullets and mm-hmm. and affecting not just That's them right. but their families, the ripple effect goes out, yeah. the devastating I won't get into it, but Terrell's family was devastated. His father never got over it. Uh, well, I can tell you, when me and Lynn were there, we were really relieved because we were nervous about it. We thought, you sure. know, never know what's down the road. You don't, you don't, never know what's down the road. You don't want to go, but you you have to. You have a duty to your country. Yeah. Now, and I wonder if that, you know, it brings us right up to today. I wonder what that feeling is around young people today. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think wonder, I, I, the sense you know. I have today, and it's, it's the one reason that I, I put these Vietnam interview programs on, on the station earlier that I regret we don't have on tomorrow. Hopefully we'll by November again. But, uh, I mean, my sense of it is that um, very much unlike the contempt, the revile that um, we faced in this Vietnam generation, there's those men like me are getting up into their late 60s and early 70s, I think the military is highly respected. Uh, we saw, I saw something on Facebook the other day, and some young girl from a family Judy knows here in town who had, had gotten out of high school and had proudly joined the Army. You know, she could have gone on right. to college and proudly sure. joined the Army. And I mean, I think that's a great thing. Sure. It's what they, you know, the way they do in Israel, their right. military service, and sure. male and female, and uh, a real sense of pride and national single-mindedness and single there's purpose. one thing about it. those that do they really do i mean because look i mean it's like you said you you can get an education i mean you can learn it's to a fly. good career it's a yeah, good it's career. A great career yeah you, you learn to fly you, yep. you learn i mean 
Uh, my parents Traffic. had a guy that had been in service, and when he came out, my dad never served. Had, as it worked out, he never had to serve. He would have been 85 today. So he was in that age yeah. where, it, where they never There's called no, him or whatever. Yeah. you know. And But this guy, he wound up with a career flying for TWA. Well, it and left. He learned to fly in the military service. You know. Vietnam left so many people with so many scars. And I don't want to get oh, yeah. melodramatic about it. But I have, I, I don't think you'd mind me mentioning his name. Uh, I think you all may know Carl Burning. And uh-huh. Carl, Carl tells a really good story that, that everybody needs to hear. And. He says, Carl was over here at MTSU. He was at MTSU, and he was, he, he, I'm not talking behind his but he was a party boy. He was not a dedicated student. <laughs> and, and he had animal had, house. he had, uh, had, he was living in Animal uh, House over I here on one of those. Like yeah, I don't have time for a, a rascal, a rascal who was not responsible about anything, not, not following his studies as he needed to. <laughs> Bill Wilson. But he said, <laughs> he said, you can, he said, what you got to th- what you got to imagine. He said, here you are, one minute, you're, you're 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And you're living this fraternity life on the MTSU campus, and you're drinking too much, and you're partying, and you're dating, and you're having a good time. And it doesn't work out well, you get drafted. He, did, he went ahead and volunteered, I think, and volunteered for the infantry and volunteered for Vietnam. He, wanted, he said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. But he said, you <laughs> okay. fast forward. You fast forward from that party atmosphere at MTSU. Put yourself in not much time. They run them through those officer candidate schools exactly quick. Right. Nine months later, nine months later, it's 2.30 in the morning. You have been out in the rain since about 8 o'clock. You're sitting in a ditch that's filled with water and leeches and snakes. That's right. You're on the side of one of the many angles of the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Wow. And you know that that night, a couple of hours, somewhere two or three hours down the line, there will be coming down that trail two or three people that you're going to kill. Right. You're going to kill that You're going to take their life. You're going to kill their And you get their materials. You look at them. You've got pictures of their wives and their children and their families. And the interesting thing, he said, when you're living that at 20 years old, you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And there is a bravado. There is a sense of adventure. There is a sense of excitement. No matter how ugly the ugliness is, that's, you, you feel that camaraderie and that, right. that, that bravado. And, but some quiet voice down inside you is, is still speaking to you. Right. And when it really is, you know, you've lived through that two or three nights a week of setting up those ambushes and carrying them out and killing people who you know deep down in your heart are as clueless about the purposes of North Vietnam versus South Vietnam as you are as a soldier. And you get home, and you get home, and you're going to get back to, quote, normal. (laughs) And you lay down at bed at night, and the demons come. That's exactly right. You try to fall asleep at night, and the demons come. And you start remembering things you don't want to remember. And... Uh, I, I hope Carl doesn't mind me telling that story, but uh, he, he told it, it on our yeah. program, and yeah. I think he wouldn't mind me remember. But it is the best um, stark contrast. You can't be a, a loving, nurturing mama's boy who ends up in college, who loves life and loves people and has got nothing but optimistic ideas about your future. You can't go from that to where you're killing two or three people a week who, right. because you've been told to. Right when you're living almost like an animal out in a muddy swamp right. somewhere and, and then go back and say, well, I'm going to pick up things here and get back to MTSU and I'm going to be a frat boy again. Well, Can't do it. It's, it you, you, make, you make that trip, you, it's a one-way street. Right. I had a friend that served in Vietnam and uh, he told me he ran into some mercenaries over there. And as it turned out, apparently they roomed with them for a day or two, however you all had it set up back then, I don't know. 
And, uh, of course, you know, some of the, those guys live pretty loose, really. Uh, between the pot smoking and other drugs and and alcohol, yeah, it was and apocalypse to, now. Yeah, he yeah. was uh, he was awake one night and this old boy sat up on the side of the bed, and they had whiskey with him. And he had a fifth of whiskey and he turned it up and killed like a third of it. Mm. And Terry said, "I don't, uh, I don't think I need any part of that life." Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and even he knew then. Yeah, you know, he knew. We're going to go to our last series of breaks. Ken Berger's with us. We're glad he's here. I want to do. Uh, uh, let me do this first, Zach, if you don't mind. Um, our new sponsor, Michelle Hauser. Michelle Hauser and Associates, Family Law, Child Custody, Divorce, Parenting Agreements Done, Mediation, you name it, they'll do it if it has to do with family law. Now, she does other cases as well, but she has committed herself to doing family law. And, uh, hey, may the good Lord bless her. Ain't that right, Ken? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she is um, located at 1500 Medical Center Parkway. For those of you who don't know, that's out by Burger Republic, okay? And uh, phone number 615-801-8602. That's 615-801-8602. And she's located out there at 1500 Medical Center Parkway at Suite 3A1 here in Murfreesboro. And you can reach her also at com. That's Michelle Hauser and Associates, Family Law. Anything you need in that line, child custody, divorce, parenting agreement, 615-801-8602. We're glad to have her aboard as a sponsor. She's a good gal and a good and a good chap. Stay with us. We'll be back right after these good words. Stay with us. Ronna McCrary has been in the mortgage business for 29 years. During her 29-year tenure, she's won multiple awards for being a top producer. She was voted as a favorite mortgage loan officer in the 2018 and 2019 DNJ Ruthie Awards. She's a proud member of the Middle Tennessee State University 1989 graduating class. She specializes in all types of mortgage products and takes pride in going the extra mile. You can visit her at 1639 Medical Center Parkway, Suite 203, or reach her at 615-419-9193, or even apply online at loansbyronda.com. Hello, everyone. It's Ed with Private Investigations in Middle Tennessee. You know, if you just need someone checked out on a background check, tag them a run, or if you need someone full-fledged follow, give us a call. You can reach me at 615-390-7219. That's 615-390-7219. Or check out our website at piofmt.com. That's piofmt.com. Hey, it's Bill. Did you know I also sell for Parts Real Estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040. Or you can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. Go to J. Mullins Jewelers and check out their collection of reactor watches. They're located at 352 West Murfield Boulevard right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And also, custom-made jewelry if you want it, they can make it for you. Also, gifts for any and all occasions. Weddings, graduations, family reunions, uh, anniversaries, all of it. That's J. Mullins Jewelers. 
3352 West Northfield Boulevard, right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I felt so alone, scared, angry, full of self-pity. I just wanted to die, so I took another drink. Then I heard about AA and went to my first meeting. The people there talked about those same feelings. I was no longer alone. They gave me help to stop drinking and hope to start living. Alcoholics Anonymous, it works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or aa.org. Go to Jay Mullins Jewelers and check out their collection of reactor watches. They're located at 352 West Murphy Boulevard right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And also, custom-made jewelry if you want it, they can make it for you. Also, gifts for any and all occasions. Weddings, graduations, family reunions, uh, anniversaries, all of it. That's J. Mullins Jewelers, 352 West Northfield Boulevard, right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. back if i can get up in my chair does this get any better with age ken i, I mean <laughs> complete mm. check out complete yard care we do it all is their slogan has been for 20 years uh low maintenance landscape design lawns cut retaining walls tree removal stump grinding mulching landscaping 615 8785 0384. That's 615 785 0384. And you can look them up at completeyardcaretn.com. They have a five star ranking on Google. That's better than I've got. That's Complete Yard Care. We do it all. Lawns cut, of course. Landscaping, retaining walls, all of it. 615 785 0384. And check them out. You will not regret it. We are back with Mr. Ken Berger, and he's been good enough. Bill Wilson is here with us. This will be Bill's last show probably with me because I know two hours is a long way to go, Bill. Well, uh, mate, you, just don't you know, know whatever. We'll see. He'll uh, come crawling back. Did you want to talk about your <laughs> gift, Dad? <laughs> did you want to talk about your nice gift? And, no, I'm going to. I'll tell you what. No, I'm I going got to the idea just for like the story I was sharing with okay. Claire. Ken and Judy's <laughs> daughter Claire is here. I'm going to leave that uh, to what I was sharing that Ken had told me to talk to his wife Judy once about some campaign material I had left over if I had a place to stick it. And he said, I'll let you talk to her privately about that. He said, I can't believe I'm actually talking like this to another man about my wife. I said, okay, well, whatever you say. But, uh, uh, Bill, we wish you the very best. We really well, do. thank you, Ed. You and He'll do uh, great. He'll do. That's an interesting concept. I mean, everybody's starved for history nowadays. You? Well, you can have a history focus. We're going to have well, history. Is We're going to do a little bit of everything. <coughs> and you've got entertainment. a guy yeah, to your right here that, uh, as a matter of fact, he was studying history in his own family today. And Fort Kim, Donaldson. Fort Donaldson. Touch on that, I, just, and I don't want to steal uh, Bill's thunder. No, no, no. I mean, no, there's not. I could turn it into a two-hour monologue. I'll, I'll try to spare everybody that. But now, my my great great grandfather was John Kennerly Ferris. That's a name that my Claire's daughter is Ella Kennerly. My son is Christian Kennerly, and so it's a family name. Doctor John Kennerly Ferris had just graduated from the what was it, the precursor to the old 
Pete Vanderbilt University, uh, Univers- University of Nashville, I think they called it. He was 23 years old, ended up a doctor in the Confederate Army with the 41st Tennessee Regiment out of Winchester. Long story short, he's at 23. He's up at Fort Donelson in February of, of um, 60, 60, 62, yeah. February of 62. And a lot of times people think you're talking about Fort Donelson, you're talking about associated at least with Donaldson, Tennessee. It's Donaldson, Fort Don- uh, up, up in Dover, Tennessee. West Tennessee. West Tennessee. Still on land between the yeah, uh, north, Northwest of, Croc- of uh, Clarksville, where the Cumberland and the Tennessee were such strategic, important things for water traffic, for supplying. Right. So it was a big battle, big battle there. He was captured at the Dover Hotel, which had been his hospital, and spent the next uh, several months in a penitentiary in Camp Morton, Indiana. He was traded for apparently a, a Yankee doctor, as they called him, and they, he ends up getting back with his unit down at just west of Corinth, Mississippi, at a place called Holly Springs. But I'd always wanted to go to Fort Donaldson and see where he had, you know, the medicine at that time. If you got a wound to one of your extremities, the medicine consisted of sawing it off. There wasn't much uh, you tree know, bark, antibiotics. Right. Tree yeah. bark, whiskey, <laughs> right. and salt. It was very rudimentary, and uh, he kept minute. I've got all of his diaries. I've got. He's kept minute details about. How they treated everything from diarrhea to mumps to uh, <laughs> most of them died from to, diarrhea. To, to, yeah. Yeah, yes, to, sir. To, yeah, it was it was yes. a killer. It was a killer. But it was an interesting trip today. I'm exhausted. I apologize if I've embarrassed you with any nonsensical statements. No, but my no, brain's unplugged. No, good lord, no! I, <laughs> I'm exhausted. I had worried about that when you came back. I, said, I know he's, he's, he's going to come out here and embarrass me and say something no, crazy. No, no, I worried about you. I, I <laughs> we, thought you know he'll be so tired watched, and everything, uh, but I'm glad. Your daughter. And hamburger Claire rejuvenated him. Yeah, Claire and Christian were having a burger over at Burger Republic, and so we stopped by there, and I stuffed a hamburger down, and I felt like a, I a, a 55-year-old again. I'd like for you to continue <laughs> 55 this. 55-year-old. Uh, <laughs> I'd like for you to continue this on the Mr. Murphy's Bro. I, I, so this sure. Is Call me back that's anytime. A good, that is a <laughs> good, that's a good, it goes right into that. Could I say as we part, I wanted yes. to remind everybody, my friend Don Wright dropped by our little that's WQJZ right. operation the other day and said to remind everybody, in fact, we did a bit on there, about the, the Exchange Club's Memorial Day um, annual tribute to veterans, uh, to fallen veterans, next door to the Methodist Church over on, um, on uh, Thompson Lane. Uh, the healing fields, flags yeah. of remembrance. Flags of and, How uh, many are out there this year? Uh, I don't know, 600 or so. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moving uh, experience. You don't have to contribute anything if you don't want to buy a flag or but you know but uh, it's a right. good worthy cause the exchange club i'm not involved in it but i know many fine people who are and yes, don heads right. it up as i understand Paso, it yeah and um they it goes to child abuse and so it's it's a worthy cause if right. you're interested in a memorial day event tomorrow that would be a good thing to do in other other than that go by that memorial on the square that has all the names of the world war one world war two vietnam and korean veterans and ponder those names and those families if you have time tomorrow you know we're out of time and uh ken i thank you again thank so you much. for the invitation claire thank you for coming up and uh driving your dad up here so we can get him home safe so you get a good night's sleep <laughs> At least uh, maybe all the offices are closed tomorrow. And remember the purpose of Memorial Day. It's the reason I have this man up, because he has lived it. Believe me, he and many of his his companions. And we appreciate him being here. Bill, good luck next week. I'll be talking to you. For the Heavenly Ramer Show, I'm Ed Ramer. Zach's on the board. Thank you, Zach. Good job as always. Good night, everyone.